Hello, I hope you'll enjoy this recording and consider that in accordance with the Buddhist tradition, my talks are offered entirely without charge and supported by donations only. Please feel invited to stop by dharmapunksnyc.com, that's spelled with an X, to check out a chapter from my book, Unsubscribe, which arrives November 2017. And thank you. So tonight's talk is on a subject that no teacher in his right mind would ever attempt. It is about strategies for connecting in a meaningful, authentic way with another human being, and how that can be done in the avoidant age of Tinder and Bumble and OkCupid. For much of the 20th century, in fact, I would say for the entirety of the 20th century, <clears throat> the way uh, human beings uh, connected was they would actually have to, in some way, shape, or form, have to screw up the courage to, in person, actually ask someone out on a date. This will all sound very foreign to you. Mm-hmm. It was very vulnerable because if you would ask someone out, it activates some of the earliest emotional charged experience from childhood. Uh, When someone would say yes, be interested, uh, respond in any sense of a positive uh, expression, it would activate the feelings that go all the way back to infancy when our caregivers would give us delighted, attuned attention, and we'd feel special and loved. And uh, those emotions are essentially stored and activated and shaped in the first, largely from six months to 24 months of life is the core attachment period. at least according to the work of Schaefer, Maine, Bowlby, Ainsworth, Fanaghi, Shore, essentially all of the world's most right now respected psychologists in the field. When we would get rejected, uh, it would activate the emotional wounds that we first experienced during times of abandonment or shaming or neglect or disappointment Uh, in family relations. So, uh, it's very, when we're asking someone out on a date and going on a date, it's a very vulnerable experience in that we really don't know exactly how we're being evaluated. If you're in a job interview, you do have a sense that it might have something to do with your experience, skills, at least hopefully it does. Um, rejection also validates one of the great uh, anxieties. Uh, Neurotic anxiety is one of the four forms of anxiety, which is the the sense that there's something in us that is unlovable or awful that other people could see, and if if we're not on guard all the time, if we're not watching ourselves very closely, that other people will somehow discern something about our personality that is 
wrong and will ostracize us or essentially uh, disconnect from us. It's a very, very common, I can tell you my work is in counseling and virtually everybody I work with has variations of neurotic anxiety. Another way it's also known uh, is also called imposter syndrome where people feel that they're a fake or phony or underqualified in anything they do. Again, that's that feeling that there's something about me that's wrong or unlovable. And so I have to constantly be vigilant and self-conscious if I don't want to be uh, cast out. <coughs> we can tell how loaded asking someone and getting to know someone is by the vernacular. When it doesn't go well, I, I went through the thesaurus. And when it doesn't go well, we get what's called the cold shoulder, the brush off, being dumped, which means you're kind of like garbage, I guess. Being left in the cold, that's not nice. Being ghosted, <laughs> much more contemporary take on it. Being jilted, in the 40s and 50s, they called it a slap in the face or a kick in the teeth. So we can tell from those vernacular phrases that it's a very loaded experience. So non-asynchronous dating apps have rushed into the, to the rescue and they have created what feels like a less vulnerable way to connect with people. And this is by concealing the initial rejection. In other words, if you put yourself on a dating app and someone swipes left on you, you never know. There's not a little buzzer that goes off and shocks you. or There's not a little thing that says, 75 people swiped left on you just in the last minute, which would be certainly deflating. So they spare you that. You only get, the sw you only get to know about the swipe rights when people like. Uh, also, it changes the experience from vulnerable sense of nakedness to something akin to online shopping. When I watch my male friends moving through Tinder, it's sort of like they're looking through toasters on Amazon not human beings. There's this almost instant, I don't know how they do it, there's this instant evaluation, literally in the blink. Well, obviously it's done on just physical features. So, um, but of course, none of this really removes the emotional pain or awkwardness from it because when you actually do wind up at the coffee shop, uh, very often today people have what's called avoidance coping when they don't feel something is emotionally right for them. They ghost people, which is kind of horrific, unless you're being stalked by someone who doesn't get the message. I feel for people who've been ghosted who tell me about that they've been on some dates and things seem to go well and then suddenly... Another, the other person disappears, doesn't return texts. Um, so that can be obviously very painful, as well as in the date, you know that you're being evaluated, but again, you don't know. And so 
people, of course, uh, tend to fall into all kinds of unskillful self-sabotaging strategies by trying to be entertaining or interesting. And we'll talk about why that doesn't work in a moment. But it's essential to know that in trying to connect with another human being, we are meeting one of the deepest needs of human beings. Human beings are what's known as co-regulating. And I'll tell you what that means. We are a species that needs to move fluidly between two states of our nervous system, between activated, where your sympathetic nervous system has you hypervigilant, anxious, on guard, and then there's hypovigilant, which is when you're disengaged, you've tuned out, you're not present, you're essentially fuzzed out, and that's your parasympathetic nervous system, which relaxes, and when it's working usefully, it can make be very relaxing, but it can also create dissociative states. So we move constantly between activated and deactivated, and when all systems are working well, you should be fluidly all the different moments of your life moving between activated and deactivated. That's how you achieve emotion regulation by being able to subtly adjust how activated you are in any situation and then get a little bit deactivated. So if somebody gives you some disappointing information, if you just go into full anxiety and you don't have any of your parasympathetic nervous system deactivating you, you're going to get stuck there and you'll be totally inappropriate in the way you respond. So when human beings go through any really painful, difficult setback or any really frustrating experience in life, they tend to either go fully into activation, sympathetic nervous system, stress, anxiety, fear, or they go fully into hyper hypovigilance, shut down, emotionally cut off, dissociative. Actually, you can tell from people's attachment styles what they'll do. If they're anxious, they'll become hypervigilant. If they're avoidant, they will become hypovigilant. They'll tend to check out. So other people are how we achieve, we get out of being stuck, and we go back into that fluid state where we can fluidly adjust to situations. Human beings are meant to, are set up so that we can co-regulate. We naturally sync to other people's moods. So if you're frightened or scared and you talk to someone who isn't, your fear and uh, concern will naturally begin to dislodge from its extreme setting and move into a more regulated state. Human beings in, under capitalism try to regulate their emotions, unfortunately, the wrong way through what's called auto-regulation all the time, which means not relying on other people, using substances, TV, shopping, food, different kinds of dopamine sources to uh, essentially repress emotional states and for a moment, dislodge the state of activation or it doesn't work. What will happen is you will fall into the exact same emotion 
very quickly given the slightest trigger in the future. So for example, people who uh, don't believe that other people are interested in hearing about their sadness, if they constantly auto-regulate by meditating or gardening or listening to music when they feel sad, they will essentially not regulate that state and that state will become latent and essentially will become reactivated again and again and again and again because they've never actually processed the original experiences. So it's very important to knowing that a lot of us will spend a, a significant period of our life being regulated by whoever it is we choose for a relationship, if that's something that you're interested in, then it's very important to understand that when you are choosing a partner, the, the normal things that we tend to prioritize, which is, as we'll see in a moment, someone who's exciting, interesting, uh, compelling, wants to go to Burning Man with you. <laughs> While those might excite your left hemisphere, they will in no way actually help with the process. Uh, attraction and bonding and security are all handled by the right orbital frontal, which means it's entirely neuroceptive. There's no thinking to it. It's done unconsciously by processes of the brain that are very fast and automatic. You don't get to generally choose who you are drawn to in attraction and who makes you feel safe. They either make you attracted or they make you feel safe, but it's not like you can simply generally force yourself, but given that, we can actually steer ourselves in the right direction. Uh, the reason why it's the right orbital, by the way, is that's the one area of the brain that integrates body sensations from the insula, uh, uh, external stimuli being processed by the thalamus, and also other people's non-verbal states, their body language, their tone of voice, their, whether they're listening to you and attentive to you or not. So when it comes time to getting to feel secure with someone, it's not like you're evaluating consciously, you're feeling the process is done um, somatically, emotionally. It's not a theoretical process. Yet we still can have there still can be a role for the left hemisphere in this process if we know where to steer ourselves. So the first important thing before dating is to note that it's very important to prioritize friendships in life before we start dating. If you try to get all of your emotion co-regulation met by the same one individual that you're also hoping will be supportive and you'll have sex with, you're setting yourself up. There just isn't one person that can meet all of your needs. We have to be balanced, and it's very, very important to have what the Buddha called Kalyanamita, wise spiritual friends. And the Buddha gave a wonderful list of what to look for in a friend. He said, find someone who will give you what is beautiful and hard to give, who will listen to your pain while withstanding your ill-spoken words, who share their secrets while keeping your secrets safe, and during times of setback and struggle will not abandon you. 
And what the Buddha is pointing to is someone who can listen to your authentic emotional states without essentially running away. This means having a support group. If you don't have a support group, there are wonderful communities, not just Buddhist communities and refuge recovery, but there's also 12-step groups. And every single spiritual practice, Quaker, Hindu, Buddhist, are all have wonderful uh, um, centers where you can find communities. Universalist, Unitarian Church, wonderful. So authentic friendships help us process setbacks and help us essentially return to any a state of... Uh, help us process rejection when it happens. Uh, and it's very important if you're going to start dating in today's landscape or do any of it to have what Robin Dunbar called the magic number of friends. Dunbar is an evolutionary psychologist who wrote how many friends... <laughs> does a person need? That's literally his book. I think that's the title, something like that. How many friends do you need or whatever? And he literally goes into it and basically, to cut it short, human brain is set up so that we can know about 150 different people. <clears throat> but for auto, I mean, for co-regulation, for somebody that we can authentically express our emotions and have them attuned to us, create a safe container, and help us, uh, help our feelings be, and emotions, states be normalized, we need about five people. Five people. That might sound uh, low. Very often people say it sounds very high, because in capitalism we're all pushed to work too much, to... Uh, take care of our bodies, to uh, worry about financial security, but there are no messages on TV or in any of the books you read that says, remember, folks, five <laughs> friends. If you don't have five friends that you can talk to authentically, authentically, by the way, means expressing both verbally and non-verbally, your actual present emotional state without feeling any desire to change or present yourself for the other person. So find those five people or find a support group because it's essential if you want to have a... If you try to get all of your needs met by one person, you'll terrify them. <laughs> you'll become engulfing. They'll seek space. The next thing to always bear in mind is gradual pacing, which means it's very tempting to go on a date for eight hours and think that's great. We met, we were, it was so wonderful and exciting. We, we, we saw the sunset and sunrise together. <laughs> and... The problem is, one, while that sounds fun, uh, all you're doing is leading to a false sense of intimacy. Really, the, your right orbital, which is deciding when you feel secure, is going to make the decision for you, if you learn how to listen to it, looks for long-term patterns of attachment. In other words, it wants to see that that person returns your texts, calls you up, shows up when they say they're going to show up, doesn't postpone, doesn't bail, 
a person who in some way demonstrates reliability. That's what your orbital frontal, as we know from the research of Alan Shore, um, is looking for. It's not looking for uh, these sort of, like, we met and we knew we wanted to immediately travel to Paris or go to Woodstock for the weekend. I'm not saying that's wrong, but that's not what is in any way something to pay attention to. What you need to pay attention to are the long-term patterns of availability and connection. Three, look for the feeling of being at home with someone. Do not prioritize the feeling of magic or excitement. In this way, everything we've been taught by Disney and every movie we've seen is wrong. The idea that seeing someone from across the room and having that magic moment where we look in their eyes and we just have that feeling of, oh, we become hyper-aroused. Our right hemisphere, along with the hypothalamus, starts activating and we think, oh, this is great. It feels magic. It feels sparkly and exciting. Actually, what that is activating is those times from your childhood where a parent who wasn't available suddenly magically returns into your life with presence and undoes all the disconnection and flatters you with attention. They're activating dopamine, and that feeling of magic is dopaminergic. Dopamine doesn't last. Dopamine is never meant to solidify a relationship. In fact, if you look at the work of... Jonathan Haidt, he has a chart where he shows like the neurotransmitters in a relationship and dopamine is like this. It goes up and it immediately goes down in like a month. <laughs> but oxytocin and serotonin, which are sustainable, slowly build over time and that's what solidifies relationships and makes us find co-regulation and partnership and security and all the things that we need as human beings. So we're looking for the feeling of being at home with someone, not being excited or entertained or thrilled. Now those qualities are not bad, but they should not be the focus. The focus should be on finding someone who gives you that feeling when you see your best friend and you can relax and say and act in any way you normally would, that you feel literally that you can be yourself. That is a feeling of being at home, of being, essentially that's the feeling of serotonin. Your right hemisphere is approving and it's activating the neurotransmitter that reduces stress, that regulates stress and anxiety. So uh, focus on that feeling. Make sure that's what you're getting. Make sure that that's what is being uh, prioritized when you pay attention to the signals that your body is sending you. And those signals are essential because this process is not left hemispheric. It's not thought through. It's felt through. The fast circuits of your brain are right hemispheric. Four is it's essential to disclose your present emotions and feelings. Don't try to be funny. 
don't try to be interesting first. It's okay if you, you have things that you talk about that you think might be interesting, but spend at least one period talking about what you're feeling. Why? Because that's the only way you can really find out if another human being is capable of creating a safe container for your emotions. So when you go on a date, the easiest thing is just say, I'm anxious, or I'm nervous, or this is, you know, I just got out of a long-term relationship, this feels weird, or this feels uh, awkward, or this feels strange, you know, I, I, I don't do this that much, or whatever. Reveal your emotional state. If somebody gets put off, repulsed, tunes off, that's the fastest way you can be informed that that person is not for you. If they try to change your emotion, oh, you shouldn't be nervous. We're at a great restaurant. Don't worry about it. I know exactly what to offer. You don't have anything. We'll have a great time. Not what you're looking for. We're not looking for someone to be instructive, to tell us how we should feel, to stonewall, get nervous to get flustered, we're simply looking for someone who, if they can't normalize the experience, which is simply say, oh yeah, I know how that feels, that's totally get it, I feel the same way, in fact, at least someone will just listen and make you feel safe having that emotional experience. Your left hemisphere cares about their career, their beliefs, what music they like, whether they want to visit Spain, whether they want to go to Machu Picchu, whether they like Mr. Robot, or whatever. <laughs> and none of that really fucking matters. I have worked with people who have wonderful long-term relationships and they can't stand each other's tastes in music, movies. They would both rather go to any other country in the world but what the other one wants to go, and yet they are happily married for decades, simply because they make each other feel safe and connected and secure. It's essential in the dating process to avoid preoccupation at all costs. Thinking about the other person, what they meant when they said X, Y, or Z, why they're not texting you back immediately, wondering or feel or just idle pleasant thoughts it might feel natural but it's actually the worst thing that you can do to sabotage because the more you think about the other person when they are not there you will actually the next time you see them respond to things that guess what they actually didn't say or do this might sound obvious and yet it happens so fucking much i cannot tell you <laughs> I listen half my life to people talking about all of the all of the stuff that they preoccupy that when we investigate we're not actually said or in any way communicated. You don't find out if somebody makes you feel safe and secure uh, in retrospect. You do it in the present moment, but when they're not there, what you do is you focus on whatever it is you're doing. <laughs> That's called task positive mode. So when you're not with the person, you focus on 
whatever it is, even watching your TV show, just don't think. If you do go back to it, just say, oh, that was nice, hello, but I'm not going to give you that time. I'm coming back again to whatever I'm doing. Very often people who are anxious will become uh, very, when they preoccupy, they will become very agitated and they will over demand more attention or more uh, uh, validation. People who are avoidant will become engulfed by preoccupation and want to get away, even though their partner hasn't done anything. And last, and uh, as important as any other tool, as soon as you possibly can, state what your needs are. People who especially are anxious and their attachment styles tend to avoid clearly articulating what it is they want, whether they want something casual, something for the long term, something that's fun, that hopefully can grow. Know what your needs are and express them. Because, one, that is the strategy or the foundation of learning how to set boundaries and learning how to find someone who meets your needs. People who are anxious tend to hint at their needs, but don't actually ever say them. They don't tend to actually articulate clearly what they're looking. They tend to believe that what they want should be universal. People who are avoidant or disorganized tend to not state their needs because they want to have sex as quickly as possible, and then they want to disconnect. So it's useful to state your needs. You'll find out if the other person is not right. And also, that's how we move into setting boundaries, which are key for long-term relationships. So to summarize, uh, have a group of a support group. Take it slow and watch how the person establishes secure connection. Look for the feeling of being at home. Don't prioritize the feeling of being entertained, someone who's always funny or exciting or interesting or creative. All those stuff, these, uh, those elements are fine, but they're not the most important issue. The feeling of being at home, of being secure, of being safe. Disclose your emotions, see how they're responded to, avoid preoccupation, and know what your needs are and state them as soon as it is uh, not awkward. And so I'm going to now turn off the tape because my voice